Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists. Why, Tom? For the glory of God in the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. Okay. Founders Ministries has been around since 1983. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Tom, it's good to have you back here by my side. You've been traveling the world. I have been gone for a while, and it is good to be home. I'm glad that you're back. We want to talk about the statement on social justice and the gospel today. We're talking about Article 11. That's on complementarianism. This is a, a hot topic right now, an important topic. There seems to be uh, a fair number of reformed evangelicals who kind of want to be complementarian, but not too complementarian. They want to be known as complementarian. But, you know, mild complementarians. Yeah, or complementarians with asterisks. With an asterisk. So this statement tries to um, maybe take away the asterisks a bit. Yeah, and it's just it's really straightforward. Uh, it is nuanced in some of its language to leave room for disagreement on some particulars. And that's okay. Application is always a, a struggle and oftentimes comes down to matters of conscience. But the principle needs to be acknowledged from the scripture and defended, which I think this article does fairly well. Let me read the affirmation. And this is the social justice statement, or the statement on the gospel and social justice, justice, which you can find at statementonsocialjustice.com. This is article number 11, complementarianism. We affirm that God created mankind, both male and female, with inherent biological and personal distinctions between them, and that these created differences are good, proper, and beautiful. Though there's no difference between men and women before God's law or as recipients of his saving grace, we affirm that God has designed men and women with distinct traits and to fulfill distinct roles. These differences are most clearly defined in marriage and the church, but are not irrelevant in other spheres of life. In marriage, the husband is to lead, love, and safeguard his wife, and the wife is to respect and be submissive to her husband in all things lawful. In the church, qualified men alone are to lead as pastors, elders, bishops, and preach to and teach the whole congregation. We further affirm that the image of God is expressed most fully and beautifully in human society when men and women walk in obedience to their God-ordained roles and serve according to their God-given gifts. Now, what's controversial about that statement? There's a lot controversial about that statement, and Primarily because it seems we have issues with authority today. It's not just the issue of complementarianism, but we really don't want to be um, submissive to any authorities in our lives. I remember one leading evangelical um, pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention recently calling for the tearing down of all hierarchies. And that seems to play a role here when you're talking about submitting to um, a person. So this is a very important topic. What do you think he meant by that, tearing down all hierarchies? I think that there is um, an, a growing egalitarianism in many people's thinking. 
where we are uncomfortable with distinct roles and those roles being hierarchical. We um, think that there should be an extreme equality where there are no differences acknowledged. So I don't know all that he meant, but he said it. Yeah, I do think this this uh, kind of egalitarian mindset transcends the issue of men and women. It goes uh, across our culture. And there's this sense that if we are not identical in every way or regarded or treated as identical in every way, then somehow we're being slighted. And that's just crazy. God created this world with beautiful variety, distinctions. And when it comes to humanity, human nature, maleness and femaleness, he made us to complement one another. And we are distinct. And in our distinctions, we have worth and value as, as image bearers, and yet that uh, that does not equate into or, or translate into direct uh, e- egalitarian realities. There's differences. Yeah, I think one of the reasons some Reformed evangelicals right now are hedging on this truth is because of the pressure from the culture around us, and we <clears throat> we are feeling that pressure in connection with what's come before. Understanding the three waves of feminism is essential to uh, rightly understanding this complementarianism, uh, how it's lived out in our present day. So if you go back to uh, the 1920s and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who was laboring for uh, women to get the right to vote, she says that uh, the Darwinian thesis is essential to us getting rid of this Genesis 1, 2, and 3, of considering the the fall a myth. By doing this, we emancipate the woman. So that was going on all the way back in the 1920s. Uh, in the 1960s, with um, Betty Friedan and um, Millet, what's her first name? You remember? Yeah, I forget her first name. She, this this um, promotion of promiscuity in order to take down the patriarchy. There's all kinds of nasty fruit that that has borne in our society. And this third wave that's presently upon us, where uh, feminists have joined ranks with the LGBT community, and they're pushing all kinds of ideologies that can very subtly uh, be imbibed by evangelicals. So we've got to see that that's going on, or else, you know, you're just going to shrink down your complementarianism to, well, my, my home. And, you know, it, it, 99% of the time, this complementarian principle is not really operating in my home. But, the, you know, every now and then, in a rare instance where we disagree, I kind of make the final decision as the husband. I think you're giving up all kinds of ground. You're giving up all kinds of biblical truth. That's buying into this, um, to this down with the patriarchy mentality that's going on in the world around us. It's simply, it's not healthy. It's not going to lead to flourishing. So, why don't you think women should be voting? <laughs> and, and why are you advocating this toxic patriarchy? That's not what I said, Tom. I, I'm That's fine I with heard. women voting. That's what I heard. Well, you got to check those ears, man. You got to check those ears. You yeah. sound like... <laughs> yeah, what you say is not necessarily what I think you said. And uh, that's a lot of the problem, this issue. So you're not suggesting that women are somehow inferior. Women are somehow to be uh, regarded as less important in anything that you have just advocated. Is that right? 
know, ontologically before God, uh, women and men are equal in dignity, worth, value, all of those wonderful things. And this emphasis on distinction in roles, uh, distinctions between men and women that are not irrelevant outside of the spheres of the church and the home are, are precious distinctions. They're things given to us by God, our creator, that results in both men and women flourishing in the world. And that's completely consistent with saying in Christ there's neither male nor female. Before God's law, as the statement says, we're all regarded the same because our issue is not our sexuality. Our issue is sin. Before the cross, uh, we are all the same because we are standing in Christ, not standing on the basis of our sexuality, which goes to the whole issue of identity, which as Christians, our primary identity is being in Christ and he is our uh, identity, the foundation of how we should begin to think about ourselves. But that does not negate or rule out what he has created us to be with all of our distinctiveness. And that's true for masculinity and femininity. That's right. I'd recommend Piper's stuff on this, his little book, uh, What's the Difference, where he talks about masculinity being a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect uh, women in ways that are appropriate to a man's differing relationships. And he really spells out a, a great vision for what it means. And then femininity in the same way, this um, freeing disposition to receive, affirm, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men uh, in a way that's appropriate to her relationships. Uh, that's a really good book if you want to explore this topic. Yeah, and he and Grudem edited a series of essays, too, called Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which um, is very commendable as well. Well, let's deal with the denial. We deny that the God-ordained differences in men's and women's roles disparage the inherent spiritual worth or value of one over the other nor do those differences in any way inhibit either men or women from flourishing for the glory of God. Basically what we just said. That's right. In our book portion, we want to talk about a book written by John Leadley Dagg. Uh, the book is called A Manual of Theology and has been uh, acknowledged as the first systematic theology written by an American Baptist. Yeah, that's true. This is a 19th century production. Uh, this is a book that figured largely in your dissertation as you completed your PhD at Southern Seminary. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So what did you find useful in this book? I enjoyed Dag. He was born in the late 18th century. He lived 90 or 91 years. I can't remember. It's like the first 25 presidents or so. Uh, he um, was a pastor, a theologian, and this particular work is really his systematic. He, writ he wrote other works as well. But what he aims at in this book is the devotional use of doctrine. So he uh, sees that it's every person's responsibility to love God. He calls it the duty of love to God. 
and then constructs his systematic theology around that idea. Uh, didn't Dad go blind? He did. Didn't he learn Hebrew after he was blind? He did. So what's your excuse? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I feel that the weight of that as well. Mm. Yeah, he has these um, these duties that, he, as you mentioned, he lists at the beginning of each of his chapters. And it is. This is the most devotional systematic theology I've ever read. Mm. It's warm. Uh, he's, he's not highly polemical, though he engages some in that. Let me just read to you um, a commendation by Paige Patterson uh, when he did his dissertation on DAG two from New Orleans Seminary. He says, if one wishes to know what most Baptists believed during the formative days of the Southern Baptist Convention, he will discover it in this volume. With remarkable insight, John Lidley Dagg, pastor, theologian, evangelist, teacher, and college president, presents the essence of biblical truth in a thoroughly readable yet scholarly presentation. So that's a, a warm commendation there by uh, former president of Southwestern Seminary. Yeah, and Dagg was very clearly a Calvinist. He was at the first Southern Baptist Convention in Augusta, Georgia, I believe it was 1845. Correct. He was there with his son. And he was a leader that was there among those who gathered on that particular day. So this manual theology, I would highly recommend it. If you're wanting to get into, you know, very detailed kind of theological disputes, if you're thinking Bavink or Burkhoff or something of that nature, that's not DAG. What you're going to get with DAG is a very warm uh, theological assessment of the key doctrines of Scripture. Yeah, it's worth reading. Well, we want to look at different commands that are found throughout the Scripture. We've worked our way through the Ten Commandments. Haven't we been already looking at commands? We have been. Why would the we Ten Commandments? Why would we go beyond the Ten Commandments and start looking at other commands of Scripture? Because these other commands are also relevant and obligatory for God's people uh, in, as we understand them, in the right context. They, the, the Ten Commandments summarize what God requires of all people everywhere, uh, all the time, and these specific commands come up in Scripture in specific contexts and show us how God's moral obligation on us is fleshed out in peculiar ways. So we want to start today with Genesis 1.28, which says, and God blessed them and said, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, Jared, I think this is one command of scripture that you are taking seriously. Not as seriously as the Puritans took it. Most of the Puritans. They had a lot of babies. <laughs> they did. They had a lot of babies. So we both have six kids. So we're trying to obey Genesis one twenty eight. So what would you say to the people who say, friends, listen, the uh, earth has been filled? I would do a belly laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, they just hadn't driven around the places I've driven. There's all kinds of land. Man, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, this is a great command. It, it's not... <laughs> I, it's not just about having children. I think there's a way to say, well, we want to be fruitful, and then you have a bunch of kids, but you know, you lock your doors, and you pull down the shades, and you're afraid of the world outside. Well, I would say, well, you're not really doing 
what Genesis 1.28 says. This, one of the reasons I love this verse is because it's on the offensive. It's, it's God telling us to go on the offensive. We're to be fruitful. We are to multiply. We're to fill the earth. And as we fill the earth, we're to subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves upon the ground. So this is a wonderful cultural mandate that God has given us, and it should shape the way that we are oriented towards the world. Absolutely. God gives this command to mankind, to the, the head of our race, to Adam and to Eve. And this command is given in the garden which is the place that God specially prepared for them that they were responsible to cultivate, to care for. And so the the vision here is that the whole earth will be subdued with this kind of beauty, with this kind of uh, benefit. And as those who bear the image of God, who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, recreated in the image of Christ, we should take this more seriously than anybody else. Mm. We should see our responsibility, where we live, the gifts he's given us, the opportunities we have to demonstrate the goodness and the beauty and the wisdom and the power of God in everything that we do. Not just on Sundays when we come together to worship corporately, but in our vocations, in our homes, in our avocations. Uh, We should be seeking the welfare, the flourishing of the world based upon this commission. That's right. I think of the, um, there's an application to parenting here, an orientation that I believe can help uh, parents to raise children. You know, two, there's two things about children that strike me. Number one, they're so incredibly cute. You just, you love them. They bring you so much joy because they're, they're so sweet and just great to be around. And at the same time, they're some, Dirty, rotten sinners. And, and they can drive you nuts. You can pull your hair out when you're around them. Well, if we're just thinking about, you know, kids are all about me and my family and what we're doing here and good pictures around Thanksgiving and Christmas seasons, well, then I'm not going to enjoy their beauty in the right way, and I'm not going to correct their sin in the right way. But if I'm thinking, I, I'm, to, I'm, I'm being fruitful, I'm multiplying in the earth, I'm to send these children out. I'm to send them out to glorify God and to seek first the kingdom of Christ and to see Christ's ways established in this world. I'm discipling them to launch them out. Well, then I I see their beauty and and their glory, and I thank God for it. I say, use this for, for your kingdom. And I see their errors, and I seek to discipline or correct that so that they will be useful instruments out in the world for the glory of God. So I think when we when we have that orientation, a Genesis one twenty eight orientation in our parenting, it can really uh, get us going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And the same kind of orientation needs to inform our vocations. So the, the person who says, well, I'm just going to take a job to get a paycheck, and that's all I'm interested in is yes. a paycheck, is missing the point. Big time. Yeah. That we are to bear witness to the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, to the authority of God over all of his creation in the way that we do our work. Whatever it is, whatever our hands find to do, we're to do with all of our might, we're to do to the glory of God and to subdue the earth That's right. in our work. I think we have a massive problem with this in the evangelical world right now. 
and then the and then the ministry of the word from pastors. We we have not helped people to see the connection here. Uh, Genesis one twenty eight obliterates the sacred secular divide. Yeah, uh, we we want our people to go out into the world and to labor for Christ, not only to do their work for Christ, oriented to Christ, but actually see what they're doing as work given them to do by God. Yeah. Everything is God's. It's all his. So if you're a plumber, you're you're taking stuff God has given you and you're you're blessing others with it and you're bringing glory to Christ by the work that you do. If you fly airplanes, if you teach children, uh, the list it does not matter what vocation you're in. Vocation does matter. We get to that whole thing. You'd be doing sinful stuff and you shouldn't be doing that and making money. Right. Um, but we should go out into our work and think this isn't just something we do to go uh, put money in the plate on Sunday. Now, that's a part of it. But the work that you're actually doing is work to glorify our God. Yeah. Amen. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, you can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org.